Good day, all. Welcome to another season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D. Here to teach you Bible truth, to help you grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace by teaching Bible truth, not my truth, Bible truth. Here we read scriptures that contain God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is May the 27th of the year 2023. I am the host, founder, and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, your one and only Dr. Kamala D. I hope this day finds you and your family well. I truly do, saints. This is the day that the Lord has made. And no matter what you are going through, rejoice in it anyway. I know that I am. I'm always going through something. But I also know this, that many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So I don't worry about anything that I'm going through because I know who is on my side. I know that everything I have gone through in the past, he made sure that I went through it and I came out on top. So I will come out on top with this affliction as well. And it's not against my body. Let me uh, make myself clear for those of you who would probably be concerned if I say that. It is nothing like that. It's it's other stuff associated with life. Um, I walk through it with a positive mindset and my focus is on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Now today, this is a message that I have been working on for the past maybe month, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe a month or two. And I was torn in the spirit whether or not I should share a message concerning something as sensitive as this. And the Lord said, go forward with it. I'll be with you just as long as you teach Bible truth. And that's what this ministry is about. So without further ado, let's get this truth on the road. The name of this message, and I need to share it before we start, is Man, God, Abortion, and Death. Man, God, Abortion, and Death. Now, I know this is a very sensitive subject. I will let the scriptures speak for themselves. I know that we have a lot of things going on in the world today. My God, as this world comes to an end, trust me on that one. And we have this thing going on uh, dealing with pro-life, pro-choice, abortion, women's rights. And I thought I would share a message regarding man, God, abortion, and death. I will share based on scripture. I will not share my opinion because I don't have a dog in the fight. Okay, I want y'all to understand that as we move forward with this message. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm going to share scripture regarding man, God, abortion, and death. Now, the death 
is related to children and infants and what the Bible has to say about it. Now, the intentional taking of life before birth, also known as abortion, is not new. The adoption um, of abortion rights as a progressive political cause in Western societies is recent. Abortion has been practiced in every culture from ancient times. Indeed, one of the signal achievements of the spread of the gospel in the Greco-Roman world was to push this practice and its close sibling, infanticide, to the margins of society. Infanticide was practiced by pre-Columbian tribes in Mexico and parts of South America. In modern times, infanticide has become less common in the Western world, but it continues in West Africa, China, India, Pakistan, and Oceania. Now, infanticide is the crime of killing a child within a year of its birth. In some legal jurisdictions, specifically by the mother. Now, cases of infanticide often involve a extreme emotional disturbance or postpartum depression. And I'm quite sure many mothers who will be listening to this message are familiar with postpartum depression. Now, in classical paganism, while it was sometimes controversial, abortion like euthanasia was common and widely approved. The ancient physicians who took the, the Hippocratic Oath, if you will, whose medical vision was powered by saving life and not taking it, were swimming upstream. It was the Church of Jesus Christ that swept through the, the later Roman world as the great pro-life movement, setting standards in medicine, setting standards in culture and, and public policy that still condition the thinking of fractured Christendom in the 21st century. Now, readers who seek abortion in a concordance are unlikely to find it. And as a result, believers have sometimes suggested that scripture is silent on the subject and that therefore we may do as we please. Now, let's look at some scripture about how God dealt with the killing of babies and children. Now, I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And while you are going there, let me share that I am reading or teaching from the NIV today, the New International Version no specific reason. It's just that I, I happen to be studying from this new um, leadership Bible that I had and, and, and just decided to, to use these scriptures. That's all. And unless I say otherwise, I will be reading throughout this episode from the NIV. And let me share this as well. This will be a two-part episode. Today is episode one, and I might... And I do mean might or maybe share episode two next weekend. Now, that depends on um, whether or not I will be sharing a message from one of my brothers in Christ. But if not, I will conclude this message next weekend, depending on how this goes. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter six, I'm reading from the NIV and I will be reading verses three through six. This is Solomon speaking. 
Verse three, a man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn or miscarriage child is better off than he. Verse four, it comes without meaning. It departs in darkness and in darkness, its name is shrouded. Verse five and six, though it never saw the sun or knew anything. And he's talking about the stillborn child, a child that is born dead. It has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. Now, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 3 says, but better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Now, let me try to shed some light on these scriptures. I will try my best. Now, Ecclesiastes is believed to be written by King Solomon. The name Solomon in Hebrew, that word means peace. King David and Bathsheba's son. He is also known as the wisest man to ever live. Now, Solomon wrote his thoughts and experiences and God allowed them to be put in the Bible for a reason. Now, the Bible doesn't directly address abortion. No matter who try to twist these scriptures to you, the Bible does not directly address abortion. The two scriptures, or shall I say the seven scriptures that I just shared with you are the closest to an abortion that you can get. It's in reference to stillborn or having a miscarriage. And let me say this again. The Bible doesn't directly address abortion. Now, verse six might be hyperbole, but it's written. However, these are several scriptures in Ecclesiastes and throughout the Bible where the writer talks about it being better if an infant is never born because of the evil in this world. It talks about babies and children being killed and God never addresses it. Never. Now, Job talks about being stillborn or never being born when he was suffering back in Job uh, chapter three and, and beginning at verse three and Job chapter, chapter three, verse 16. You can read that on your own. I just didn't want to read those scriptures during this episode. Now, I know it's tough for people to hear and understand what I am sharing. Now, I might be censored for sharing Bible truth, but I don't care. I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm going to say that throughout this episode. I'm sharing scripture. I have never had an abortion. Let me go on record to say this. I have never had an abortion and I never will. I also don't believe in or practice premarital sex. That is having sex outside of marriage. I don't practice that. Now, as it relates to this evil world, it's okay for people to make up things they assume are in the Bible, but it's also okay to try and muzzle or, or censor teachers of the Bible. 
real teachers who share truth. Well, I'm going to share the truth until I'm cut off. I have a lot of scripture to share with you. Prepare yourself. Some of this information will shock you if this is your first time hearing them. So let's let the scriptures speak for themselves. I'm going to let you be the judge. First, let's look at the story of King David and Bathsheba. How Solomon or just before Solomon was born. I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You guys know the routine for the sake of time. You can pause the tape while you find the scriptures. And when you find them, press play and we will be on the same page. But for the sake of time, I'm going to start reading uh, beginning at verse 2. I will be reading verses 2 through 5. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 4 says, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. Verse five says, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now Bathsheba's husband name was Uriah. He was a Hittite. David set her husband up to be killed in war so that he could have Bathsheba. Now I want you to jump to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and I will be reading verses 9 through 14. God sent the prophet Nathan to King David and let him know that God wasn't pleased with the sins David committed. Okay. David had broken the commandments, the commandments of coveting, adultery, and murder. And that's in Exodus chapter 20 verses 13 through 17. Now the punishment was supposed to be death for David, but God allowed David to live. God had a lot of promises that David had to fulfill. Okay. Now let's read what happened to the baby. When Bathsheba told David she was pregnant. Now, I will read verses 9 through 14, and uh, just for the sake of memory or clarification, I'm reading from the NIV. Verse 9 says, why did you despise the word of the Lord? This is the prophet Nathan talking to King David. By doing what is evil in his sight or in his eyes, doing what is evil in the sight of God. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. That's adultery and covetousness. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David set Uriah up to be killed. This is the murder that David committed. Verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 11 and 12 says, this is what the Lord says out of your own household. I am going to bring calamity on you 
Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Verse 12, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Now the punishment for David was harsh. Oh yeah, it appears to be harsh, but remember he sinned against the Lord. One of his sons, this is how harsh it was. I don't want to digress too much. One of his sons raped his 15 year old sister. Her name was Tamar and David was so distraught that he didn't do anything about it. Verse 13 says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He did not try to defend his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. This means that David is not going to die as a result of his sin. You are not going to die. Now the Lord forgave uh, David's sin by not allowing him to die. But David didn't go without punishment. God didn't hurt David physically, but he allowed David to be punished mentally. David was never the same after this incident. Verse 14 says, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. Listen to the latter part of verse 14. The son born to you will die. He's talking about the son born to him and Bathsheba. God said that son will die. Now, there are times when God will not allow a child to live. This was one of them. The baby was seven days old when God allowed sickness to come upon that baby. All this happened based on how that child was conceived. It could mean punishment for a parent or either both. In this case, it was because of what David did. He was king. Bathsheba was a servant. She was the wife of one of his, his, his military personnel, Uriah the Hittite. So this sin was because of what David did. He was king and he knew better. Or put it this way, he should have known better. He knew the commandments of God, but he still did wrong in the sight of God. He allowed the lust of his flesh to cause him to ignore the consequences for his actions. So let me ask you a question. Why on earth would God want a victim of rape or incest to carry that baby under those circumstances? Now I am addressing this from a biblical standpoint because people are saying God is against abortion. People have no clue as to what they are talking about as it relates to God and the word written in his Bible. Now let me be clear. I don't support abortion nor do I support sex outside of marriage. But there are scriptures in this Bible where God didn't stop some babies from being killed. And as you can see here, God didn't allow this baby to live past seven days because of how that child was conceived. But the government of the United States, this is where they may try to censor me, but I don't care. They're just going to have to cut it off because I'm going to say it is trying to put laws in place right now where women and young girls would be forced to carry a baby created by rape or incest. Now that is, in my humble opinion, worse than the rape itself. 
We just read what happened to the baby created in adultery and eventually murder. God did not allow that baby to live. That's in your Bible, not just mine. How a baby is conceived is one way God will determine if his hand is involved. Now, as we know, there are thousands of babies and children that die every day and thousands are born every day. Some will be future murderers and will create hell on earth. Others will be great humanitarians and great followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will do good. Now, there was also cannibalism in the Bible. People ate babies during a famine and God did not address it. I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I will be reading verses 24 through 30. While you look, I will be reading. Pause the tape. When you find the scriptures, press play and we will be on the same page. Sometime later, this is verse 24, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, that's king of Syria, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Verse 25, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. Now, donkeys were unclean for food. If you want to read about that, um, read Leviticus 11.3. That's how bad the famine was. They started to eat heads of a donkey, which was considered to be unclean. Verse 26 through 30 says, As the king of Israel, and that is Jehoram, that was his name, was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? This was his question to her. Verse 28. 28. Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. And finally, verse 30 says, when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked and they saw that under his robes, he had a sackcloth on his body. Israel had been warned that national disobedience could reduce the people to such a loathsome act. Oh my God, I don't care what was going on, the famine or whatever, I would not have eaten a child. Now, this was recorded in Leviticus 26, verse 29, Deuteronomy 28, verse 53 and 57. When God warned of a national disobedience, it could reduce the people to such a loathsome act. Now, the king felt bad about what happened. That's why he wore a sackcloth. It was a sign that he was grieving. He was the cause of the famine. He wasn't doing, doing right by the things of God. And as a result of his behavior, the people also suffered. Now, you won't find a scripture where God addressed the issue of cannibalism. He didn't stop it. He didn't speak against it 
or he didn't show support for it. He didn't say anything about it. Now here we find where the people and children can suffer because of the government being disobedient to the true and living God. In this case, it's the God of Israel, known in the Bible as the true and living God. Now let's look at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And while you look for those scriptures, I will be reading verses 16 through 24. Pause the tape. When you find the scriptures, press play. We will be on the same page. Verse 16. We are going to talk about where children suffered because of the evil hearts of their parents and parts of the government their parents represented. In this case, it was their father. Verse 16 says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. The king was upset about that. He really liked Daniel. Verse 19 says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Verse 23 and 24 says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. My Lord, hallelujah. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. In verse 24, we see the punishment instilled upon the men who worked in government. Their innocent wives and children were also killed with them. Not for what they did, but because of what their crooked husbands and father did. They tried to set Daniel up to be killed because Daniel was very honest working in government. He refused to overcharge the people in paying their taxes. This is why the king put Daniel in that position. He needed someone that could be trusted. But the other government officials were crooked. Just like our government officials in office today. Unfortunately, when the hammer comes down on government officials today, when God's judgment comes crashing down, family members that are outside of Christ will suffer with them. 
Those who are in support of our crooked government will also perish with them. However, if family members of government officials today are in Christ, they won't support their crooked deeds and won't suffer the consequences. They will speak out against refusing to force the wealthy to pay their fair share of taxes. They will speak out against not putting laws in place that will prevent innocent children from being killed by guns purchased legally by people with mental illness. They will speak out against a government that is fragmented. They will speak out against a government that continues to oppress the poor to serve the rich. Let, 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 look, let's move on here because I can go on all day with that. There are scriptures where a mighty prophet of God caused some young boys to be brutally attacked and some even killed because they teased the prophet. They were little bullies. God didn't even attempt to stop it. This is in your Bible. God didn't even attempt to stop it. Now, Elisha was so anointed in the second resurrection story. That's in second Kings 13, 20 and 21. A corpse from Elisha's grave came into contact with one of Elisha's bones. He came to life and stood up. He was truly a prophet sent by God. That's how anointed the prophet Elisha was. It's the, it, now I want to know, is, 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 is that too much for you to comprehend? Okay, let, let's move on. I want you to go to second Kings chapter two, second Kings chapter two, and I will be reading verses 23 through 25. Now from there, Elisha went up to Bethel as he was walking along the road, some boys, you know, preteens or very young boys in any event, they were children came out of the town and jeered or either mocked at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. Verse 24, he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Now, mauled could mean severely wounded or killed them. God did not stop the curse called down by his prophet from destroying those young boys. Verse 25 says, and he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria, talking about Elisha, the prophet. Now, God did not stop his prophet from doing what we might call a horrible thing. And, and, and it's, it, it appears to be horrible to me, but the point I want to get across is God didn't stop it. Now I will say this, deal with the bullying in schools before they come across a child or a teenager that belongs to God. Deal with them. Our school system needs to deal with them. In this case, these young boys were mocking a grown man, but he was a prophet of God. These were little bullies, little evil children. And you saw what happened to them. Or shall I say you read? Because when I read, I visualize. So if you visualize this, you saw what happened to those boys. Now, I want you to think about when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. He destroyed the children as well. Now, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with any of this. Let me be clear on that. 
I'm just sharing what the Bible says about stillborn babies and children being killed. So don't, don't look, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. Now, remember, I don't have a dog in the fight. I want you to remember that I, I don't support abortion. I don't believe in it, but I also don't believe in premarital sex either. So now let's, let's go to, um, we have a case of, of what I call, be careful what you ask for. Go to Genesis chapter 25. And I will be reading verses 20 through 34. And I'm just going to read through this. Okay. Now the latter part of verse 19, it says Abraham became the father of Isaac. Verse 20 says Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan, Aramek, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, or your version may say she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So that means before the Lord answered his prayer, Rebecca wasn't pregnant and she didn't appear to be able to have children. So Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife. He prayed to the Lord because she was childless and the Lord answered his prayer. And then Rebecca became pregnant. So let me go on to 22 and read all the way through to verse 34. I'm not going to call out the numbers. Okay. Verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She did. Don't let nobody twist these scriptures and say, well, you know, this means she went on, you know, to the prophet and he spoke to the Lord. No, the Bible says, and she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23 says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to their twins or either to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Right here, you have a father who loved one son more than he loved the other. The Bible doesn't say that, but it also is telling us that Isaac loved Esau and that Rebecca loved Jacob. So let the scriptures speak for themselves. Why is the Bible saying Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob? Now, now I'm going to mention verse 29, and I'm going to read all the way through uh, 34 without calling the number. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He was hungry. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Okay. Edom means red. 
Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And finally, verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, the difference between Esau and Jacob, already uh, apparent at birth, became more pronounced as the boys grew up. Esau was, it was a, a rough and tumble hunter, and, and he was an outdoorsman, you know, a man of rural regions. Jacob was quiet and stayed at home. He was a dweller in tents. Now, the differences between the boys highlighted a, a division between the parents. Isaac's, you know, something of an, an outdoorsman himself. You can read verse 24 uh, and verse 63. Loved his rugged son Esau. The Bible doesn't say he didn't love his son Jacob, but it, it also highlights that he loved his son Esau. While Rebecca loved her more domestic son Jacob, even teaching him how to cook. <sighs> Esau's impatient, appetite-driven life contrasted sharply with Jacob's shrewd, calculating character. Esau willingly traded his birthright, the right of the firstborn son, to a double portion or perhaps two-thirds of the inheritance from his father. You can read about the inheritance of, of the firstborn versus the secondborn in Deuteronomy um, chapter 21, beginning at verse 17, if you choose to. Now, for the chance to eat some red stuff, because of his fateful decision, Esau picked up the alternate name Edom, which means red, which will be carried by the people, um, the group stemming from him in, in chapter 32, verse 3. And because Jacob had made him swear to sell his birthright, the decision could not be undone because Esau sweared. You can't go back on a promise. Now, Rebecca prayed to have a child. She ended up with twins. God warned her that she had two nations in her womb. And to simplify this, they were not going to get along. Now, out of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, came the 12 tribes of Israel. Out of Esau, whose name was changed to Edom, came the Edomites. Now, needless to say, him and his brother Jacob did not get along. Now, if you are a married couple, and I want to be sensitive here, you can either receive this or not. And I'm saying this with love. If you are a married couple trying to get pregnant, allow your pregnancy to happen in God's timing. It's okay to pray, but tell God, God, I believe we will have a baby in your timing, but do not Force the issue. And I call this section here, be careful what you ask for. Now, I want you to remember Esau and his brother Jacob did not get along. Esau set out to kill Jacob. They were constantly battling. Now, for the naysayers, children not getting along has nothing to do with sibling rivalry being normal because it's not. It is not normal for you to hate your sibling enough to kill him or her or children killing their parents. 
Now, what spirit is controlling the house that you live in with your family? Is it God through Jesus or the devil? Because those are the only two spirits that could be in that house. God through Jesus or the devil. You may not agree with that, but I'm telling you Bible truth. Now, I watched a documentary the other day where twins, twin girls killed their mother. Now, this was in Atlanta. Now, because the mother tried to make them get up and go to school every day, she told them not to do drugs and they, they were too young to have sex with boys. This is no different from what most parents try to teach their children today. But these little evil twins, they first were in the custody of their grandmother. They became too much for her and the courts awarded them their mother custody of them again. And then the courts had taken them from their mother again because they were giving their mother hell. And then they were returned back to the mother. And eventually these young girls killed their mother. Now I say to you, raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You can read and, and meditate on Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. You can read and meditate on Ephesians six and four. Introduce your children to Jesus at a young age. As soon as they are able to understand, you need to introduce them to the Lord. Now, when they get older, they will remember what you and their environment taught them. Well, saints, look, I know I just opened the door. I tapped it. Um, this was episode one. We will conclude episode one right here. And next week, we or I will share episode two, which will be a little bit more informative and I will make sure I end it on a good note. So until next time, saints, I want you to walk in love. Choose Jesus. Wear your cross. Peace out. I hope you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode or any previous episodes, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because it has been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Or you can send your seed to me via Cash App, dollar sign, Dr. Kamala D. That's dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. Anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.